Keepers of the Flame, the classic metal podcast with Rev Taylor and Darren Wall. Reviews, interviews, and conversation since 2021. Hello and welcome back. Once again, it's Sunday night. Welcome back to the 13th, lucky 13th episode of Keepers of the Flame, the classic metal podcast. My name is Darren Wall. My man Rev Taylor with me. As always, how you doing, my man? I'm doing all right. I'm glad to be here. It was a bit of a struggle to uh, <laughs> make it to my office to, to do the podcasting today because we got an electrician in the house kind of uh, trying to solve some of these old house problems and all these we had a couple of shorted outlets that were just standing by to burn the house down and kill us all. So uh, managed to get all that done in time to uh, come up here and talk about some uh, heavy metal from Singapore tonight. So that's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, you know, we almost didn't make it again because after that, my internet wouldn't work for about for a good solid 20 minutes. But we, fingers crossed, there's no house fires and no internet shortages. So we should be, um, we should be good to go. But as, as Rev mentioned, we have, I guess we're going to be talking about our first band from Asia this week. But before that, you know, it is time to open your favorite beverage, crack it open this week. I'm actually drinking some of my beer that I make, because I don't nice. know if I mentioned it, but I am a home brewer. This is the very last bottle of my homebrewed Saison that I made a few months ago. It's Belgian style. The Belgian style is probably my favorite style of beer on earth. Um, so I'm very, very proud of this one. It's got that it's really easy to drink it's uh, very refreshing but it's got that signature funky um saison yeast thing going on so this is hitting the spot after a long ass day nice yeah i just uh because i was in a rush i just poured myself a little glass of uh, single malt scotch this is the Aberlour 12 year um which is a space side single malt whiskey nice. um so nice and smooth. One of the kind of brighter scotches. It's not like, you know, drinking coal or anything. Not that <laughs> I, mean, I, I love that stuff, but, uh, yeah. but this is a more kind of, uh, kind of summary, summary scotch. So yeah, I, I, I gotta be, I like the, the, the Lafroy style, real peaty stuff, but I gotta be in a mood for it, you know? Yeah, exactly. And it, it, it is a little bit rough on the body and on the, the, stomach if you're not careful it's aggressive so, and you know it, it's one of those yeah. it, it is it is a good like i've had a bad day drink because you know you're kind of like <laughs> yeah right <laughs> you had a beverage you're kind of giving the middle finger to the world um because it's uh yeah they're rowdy i remember uh, the first time i had uh, a lafroy i was in scotland uh when i was doing my uh, year abroad over there and uh lafroy was like the the scotch of the week at this at this regular bar that i went to with my my buddies in music school and i remember i ordered one was tasting something i went over to like see one of my friends um and i walked up holding a little glass of lafroig and my friend just kind of leaned over and gave me a sniffing and he went you smell like my dad (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's wonderful dad smells scotch well you know my dad loves scotch too so there you go it's a thing Mm -hmm. All right, so anyway, getting on with things, you know, as we mentioned, it's a band, our first band from Asia that we've talked about on, on, the, on the show. Uh, it's a band called Witch Seeker, another er band. There's a lot yeah. of the solicitor and gatekeeper and traveler, a lot of people, er bands of folks doing things, I guess. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of, um, oh, uh, Hell Patrol from, um, 
from Painkiller. Yeah. But I read, I read a comment on it that said, hey, if you need a team name for something, just listen to this song. Because <laughs> yeah, all fair. the lyrics are just like team names. Yeah. You know, this, one, this one combines kind of like the two, two cliche name things. Easy. It's, like a witch, it's another witch band and another er band. So yeah, right. They're, they're going for it. It's a cool name. Um, the album is called uh, God, Scene of the Wild. Yeah. So that's pretty, that's an interesting name. Um, but this guy, this band's been around since 2012. Uh, they got, they put out one EP, a split, and this is their second full length. Um, this is out on a label called Dying Victims Productions. Never heard of that label, but you know, good stuff. Good, good on them for having a label behind them. Uh, it was put out on March 26th of 2021. So this is brand new. This has only been out a very little while. Um, overall, um, I had a lot of mixed feelings about this one. I, I certainly didn't actively dislike it. Um, I think it's a, it's a good record. It's a solid record that could have been a lot better had they made some different choices and sounds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing I'll say about it is it's definitely not a headphones album in a lot of ways. Like, like it's, it's very much oh. like a, a party vibe kind of thing. So I did feel a little strange you know, like, I'm going to sit down and, like, you know, pour myself a drink and listen to this Witch Seeker album. It just doesn't quite have that vibe. It's it's very much, like, something that sounds like it was meant to be played live or played at a at a barbecue or mm-hmm. or house party or I'm not sure what they get up to in, in Singapore. But, um, yeah. Yeah, this, I, I actually learned that this band's been on my radar for a little while because uh, prior to COVID breaking out, my wife and I were actually going to take a big trip to uh to singapore for our our 10th anniversary of of being a couple um which was going to be in in late april of 2020 so we had we found cheap tickets to singapore and we were like what the hell we'll go check it out and um obviously that didn't happen for covid reasons but um for a long time i've I've been uh, a fan of this band called rudra which is a uh a death metal band from Singapore and, and all their lyrics are about um, like Hindu mysticism and non-duality uh, Advaita. It's, it's, it's really cool stuff. And I learned a lot of, from their music. So I, I was thinking like, I guess there's much, must be a little metal scene in Singapore. So when I thought I was going over there, I kind of looked it up and did some reading about all the different bands they've got there in a small, but seemingly pretty lively scene. And uh, this seems to be the one like traditional metal style band there that I could find anything about and uh at at the time I listened to some tracks from their previous album enough to be like oh hey that sounds fun but the the sound quality and the recording quality of that was not uh was not great to my ears and so this one's definitely a step up in terms of professionalism and yeah the production is I actually thought the overall mix and production was okay it wasn't it wasn't anything to write home about but it wasn't it wasn't bad um I'll say like some for the, some pause some serious positives like the energy on this record is really good. I mean these are some stoked dudes. They're having they're having fun. Um, the songs are I think they're just fine. They're not there's no songs that are like exceptionally amazing, but they're all fine. Um, the songs are kind of like it's an interesting. They kind of bounce around a bit. And there's some variety. There's some that are like thrash, even like bordering on even. Just some are fast enough to almost make me call them speed metal. Yeah, and uh, there's some a little bit of punk in there, but then they go back to like some glam, stop new wave of British heavy metal stuff, and the mix of 
those two styles I find a bit strange. Um, but you know, you're hearing lots of like, you know, for, for modern comparisons, just like lots of striker and um, a lot. Of, it, it's very typical of a lot of the new wave of traditional heavy metal bands that you hear today, um, mm -hmm. as far as their general sound. But they do throw in some like really like not thrashy songs, like some really really fast shit. Yeah, there's there's definitely. I, I think they must be thrash fans. I looked up on Encyclopedia Metalum and and uh, you know their lead singer has a municipal waist shirt and stuff. So. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's you know, probably that's like the scene that they're most tied into. I think there is a more of a thrash scene over there, sure, um, than a than a traditional scene. Um, yeah, apparently uh, this used to be a one man project. Um, it is a bassist slash vocalist. Oh, who's... son of a bitch! So yeah, we're, we're we're gonna. I know we're gonna get to, to oh, this uh, boy. discussion. I didn't, of... <laughs> I didn't know that. Now I do. Okay. Yeah, because um, I know you've got some some feelings. We we're talking before the show. You've got some feelings about the uh, <laughs> the bass tone and some of the choices uh, I mean, being made on that level. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess it makes sense to like. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll address that elephant in the room. It is probably the worst bass tone I've ever heard. <laughs> it is. It's really bad. Um, it is like it's a clangy, super abrasive um, overkill style like the band overkill it is overkill in the literal <laughs> sense of the word but it's it's it sounds like the it, it is like oh the very like you know dd bernie bass tone like the guy from overkill but you take that and you just dial up the insanity like a hundred and you get this bass tone so this is an interesting thing when you do a, a, a bass tone like this you don't really scoop the mids out you scoop the low end out and, it, yeah. and the gain is all the way up and the treble is all the way up. And what you get is for, well, the first thing that happens is it becomes very thin sounding. There's no, there's no bottom end to this record because the bottom end is missing. Uh, it's just not in the sound spectrum of this bass tone. Um, you also get a bass tone that is like really distracting. Um, like it, it, to me, there's a lot of songs on here that really I liked uh, and the bass tone, you know, wrecked it. Um, I got to see like the, the, the singer as a singer though. I like him actually. I mean, he's like, he's not a great singer per se. He's a little pitchy at times and doesn't always hit the notes, but it is an endearing thing about his voice. I don't know what it is. It just, maybe it's the energy. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely Yeah. It's got a good energy. It's got a, a lot of, um, it's a lot of aggression in, in it and it just seems like he's having a great time yeah and, and he's relatively on key most of the time there are a few yeah. there's a few notes there's a few times where you're like oh that was that was a little pitchy or that was a little sharp a little flat but you know there's there it's not consistent and it's not to me it wasn't his vocals weren't problematic they're actually quite catchy a lot of times yeah yeah, there's some. There's definitely some catchy tunes on here. Mm. But yeah, it's definitely. It, I mean, probably the first thing you'll notice is is the bass tone, and and I guess it's intentional, but it's. Uh, it has to be. I mean, it, I, I, it almost I, sounds like. It almost sounds like a third guitar in a way. It's like it, it's it's occupying the space of a, of like a instead of a bass guitar, it's like a baritone guitar. I mean, I know that's actually a thing, but like this. It's it's more like up there with the guitars, and it's being played more like a guitar too. But um, as, as somebody who has had, I mean, when, if you listen to a record I made when I was in my twenties called uh, "It's by My Old Band Entropia" called "Electric Chaos," 
I, I, I have a bass tone sort of similar to this. I, yeah. I, I, I use a really clangy, thrashy tone, but it was, it's nowhere near. And, for, and first of all, that's an obnoxious thrash record. Like it is, there's a lot of screaming and fucking really fast riffs and, you know, death metal growls and shit. It's meant to be ugly. Um, it, it's not, we weren't playing pretty music. And to say, you know, you're right. This, ha- this, is, this has to be intentional. You can't accidentally make this bass tone. You have to go out of your way to engineer it. Because when I was looking for it, I had to play around to try to get something like this. So this is completely on purpose. I don't understand the thought process behind it for this type of music, especially. Um, if you're playing crazy bonkers, and there are times on this record when it's okay. You know, when, they go, when they're going 90 miles an hour, um, the bass tone... It 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 kind of is it, it 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 fits a little bit better, but there are times where they're trying to play really melodic stuff, and that bass tone's going underneath it, and you're like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, there's times that it seems more in place than or more out of place than others. And it's, it's, I, it does it does seem like the guy's a pretty good player, though. I can't like, tell. I mean, I, I'll tell you, I like I can't. I mean, there's flashes where you hear things, but the notes are indiscernible. For the most part, and you know, it's it's only the top string. Like was whenever he's on the big string, because and I think and that's a technique thing. It's a it's actually kind of a natural thing because you can just the way if, if you're playing with a pick, which he yeah. is, it's a lot easier to generate that power on the big string because you know you're um, you have more room to move. You like you can take these big giant strokes. So he is. Just like, when he plays like the, for lack of a better term, the A string or the G or the D, um, mm-hmm. it's a lot. It's a lot less noticeable. Um, but when he's playing that fat E string, it's he's wailing on it. Like he, I could tell he's like there's not a lot of restraint in the playing. He's just absolutely wailing on it. And you know, you, when you're a pick player on a bass, there are like some nuances you have to think about, like keeping the notes a little more consistent because it is easy to just plow away on the top string and you know make it so much louder because we don't have distortion or any of that shit to like you know well there's some game there's a lot of game here we just don't have a lot of the same things that guitar players have so the the, the nuances like volume and intensity between the different strings are very noticeable um as we, we see here but i guess yeah you know yeah it ends, it ends up generating a lot of white noise I a guess. lot, and it's distracting. Yeah. It's very distracting. So, getting right into it, um, the first song is the title track. This is the second time in a row we have an album with the title track, and I actually think this is kind of a cool tune. And I didn't expect it. Mm-hmm. It's two minutes and like fifteen seconds or something, um, and it's a bouncy, like boogie swing, like new wave of British heavy metal song, and it's super fun, and yeah. it's got lots of energy. And I didn't see that coming, and I was kind of like, ooh. That's interesting. Um, the bass is definitely clawing, clanging away underneath it. Um, but this isn't, and it, it did catch my attention. And I was like, oh, that's a bit of a rough bass tone. Um, but it was, it, it hadn't gotten that bad yet. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's more of when they have the more aggressive attack, then it fits a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think the first song is, it's super fun. You get that da 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 kind of beat and, mm. uh, it's really catchy. Like I can hear it in my head right now. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, into the wild. Yeah, it's like it's, it's super catchy. It's it's rock and roll as hell. It could have come straight out of like the late seventies, early eighties on like mm-hmm. you know Tigers of Pantang record or something. It's 
it's a it's a great song and i was actually getting pretty excited when i heard this one so this is i mean yeah it, it, there's not too much to talk about because it's, it's just short and it's and it's actually like a cool tune to it's a, it's it's a bit of a task to write something that's that short like my old band skeletor whose t-shirt i'm wearing tonight um we had a song called Stormbringer and Warmblade, and it's a really short tune. And I think it's one of Skeletor's coolest songs. It's just a really quick, like, just under three-minute track. And it's, they fit a lot of riffs in it. And this kind of reminds me of that. It has the same kind of vibe. It's just like, you know, get in, get the point, get to the point, get done. And it's done so early, you're kind of like, oh, shit. Like, I kind of want to hear it again now. Mm -hmm. But it's a cool way to start an album, but... Um, then we get to the next song, which is Rock This Night Away. Not that night, not the night, this night. And it starts, and it's got, geez, it's got this really cool, like, old 80s metal riff, you know? And the bass comes in, and it is just sounds like a dump truck. It is like they're playing this, you know, really cool that, you know, they're, they're, they're rocking out. And the bass is playing, you know, it's playing with the, he's locking in with the drums. He's playing, like, one note locked into the drums. And it's literally going underneath this thing. And I started laughing because <laughs> it, it, it just sounds so insane. Like it, it actually sounds, I don't know. It, it sounds completely insane to me. Like if this was like an experimental, like Voivod record or something, I might be like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. But here I was like, what the, I was actually, what the fuck? Like, Holy hell. Um, it's it's uh, it's just not musical <laughs> and 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 the uh the uh the, the chorus is like fucking tops man it's really cool and it's one of the catchiest songs on the record for sure yeah but i i, I can't listen to it because just that that bass tone just destroys it for me hmm. you, you mentioned locking in with the drums and i thought it was interesting that i maybe because i was noticing the bass playing so much because the tone is so obnoxious yeah <laughs> that, um, I, I noticed that he was not playing with the drums as often as a lot of other bass players do True, it's a I much mean, more like guitaristic kind of style where the drums are off on their own and yeah. the bass is doing its own thing and it, it didn't seem like there was as much communication between the two that's but, true and, and part of that is uh, i can speak to that a little bit is when you are the principal songwriter as i've been one of the principal songwriters in, in various bands um, and you write the riff, it, it's hard to separate yourself from it. Hmm. You know, it's like, because, because you, you play it and then when you play it in practice, you kind of start playing along to it. And it's kind of hard to, whereas someone else writes a riff, you know, it's much more, uh, that's why in Greyhawk, like I would really like to defer to Jesse to put the demos together, even if, you know, I come up with an idea for a riff or you do, because when you hear someone else's riff and then you hear the drums as a bass player, your brain kind of intrinsically thinks to what the rhythm's going to be. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he, but he, here he is doing the classic, like one note in key underneath. I think, I think it's a note in key underneath the riff and he's just matching the drums and playing a straight ahead, like, you know, eighth note thing, like, but it's just, <laughs> damn, it's just incomprehensible. <laughs> um, so but yeah, it's it, it's it sucks because man, if if that bass was like a nice, refined, punchy bass tone with a nice, warm bottom end, this would be a fun song. Yeah, and it is. I mean, I enjoyed it. Although there are some there's some pitchiness in the vocals that that kind of 
I don't know, made me wince a little bit in each oh, chorus. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's not necessarily out of character for what they're singing about. Like, this is not, this is not like, I don't know, Viennese operetta or something. It doesn't need to be all like light and bubbly. It's very much just a yeah, yeah, yeah kind of thing. Yeah. So it didn't bother me that much, but it is enough that I kind of had that instinctive like <laughs> reaction every time I heard that. It could have been, it could have been sung a little better. There, there, yeah. There's there's definitely some truth there. But yeah, I mean, Rock This Night Away is, if you hear that title, I mean, the song is exactly what you think you're going to get when you hear that title. It's fun 80s rock. Yeah, I mean, I think it must be really fun to hear this in a club. Certainly. I mean, I, God, I don't know what I'd do if I heard that bass tone live. I just thought of I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> I might leave. <laughs> I don't want to like, refund it too much, but, you know, it, it is the elephant in the room on this record. It's the, much like with the pounder vocals, this is the elephant in the room here. Mm-hmm. Um, so next we go to Lust for Dust, which, is it about cocaine? It's got to be. I mean, or some addictive drug that comes in powder form, clearly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Now we've got like a, we're getting a little bit more into uh, speed metal kind of territory. The, the rhythm of the vocals is much faster on this one. Yeah. It very much reminds me of early Megadeth, like the first, mm. uh, especially like the first Megadeth album in Peace Cells. And, you know, the bass tone actually suits this a little more. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's faster. You get like, you know, it's, it's definitely got some, the early Megadeth kind of like speed metal jazzy thing going on. Um, there's a little bit of like motorhead riffing in there. This is definitely like a mosh pit opener. Um, this is, I think this is one of the better songs on the record. I actually, I actually thought this was a cool song. Um, I liked it all right. I mean, it's funny you mentioned Megadeth because there is kind of a bit of a Dave Mustaine thing going on with the vocals on this. Oh, totally. Even the 100%. way he's pronouncing Lust for Dust. Oh, yeah. Kind of sounds 100%. Yeah, 100%. They're definitely Megadeth fans. You know, something that kind of was bugging me a little bit about the vocals on this track, mm-hmm. and this is like a, this is a recording thing, but this is a technique they use throughout the album. But what he does a lot, especially on this song, is record each little phrase fragment separately. Yep. So that it all kind of blends together. Uh, and maybe it's just a personal taste thing on my part. I really don't like that. It's uh, because it cuts. Yeah, you can totally yeah. hear it. And it doesn't it just doesn't quite sound natural because the singer's not breathing. And uh, so we tried this on, on the Greyhawk song, Drop the Hammer. Mm-hmm. It's, it's similar in that there's kind of a, a faster syncopated vocal rhythm in the verses. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to spit out a lot of words that have to really be precise on, about where they're falling on the beats. And so it can be tough to breathe correctly. And so I was thinking, well, maybe it'd be best just to record it one phrase at a time. Yeah. Like they do here. And I tried it. And I just hated it so much. We had to go back and re-record the whole thing mm-hmm. because it didn't, it just didn't feel quite natural. I think if you're going to do it that way, you've got to really like make differentiation between the two. So it sounds like two people or two different versions of the same singer singing, because if it sounds like the same tone and the same treatment on the production, it just kind of starts to sound monotonous. Yeah. It doesn't sound like real human singing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like the way that, the, the 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 vocals are not quite falling on the beat all the time anyway even when they're doing that and with a song like that i don't really get why you'd want it to have that kind of polished studio song because it's like this really raw sound yeah i would yeah, much yeah. rather hear it be 
However, we're going to hear it live. I want to hear it that way, even with the blemishes, because as we've said, it's not like this is a a really like, you know, high flying uh, virtuosic vocalist. It's it's all about the energy, and I think that yeah. that energy is going to translate better when you're hearing it done in a more natural, organic way with the breathing and everything. So, I, for me, that was the thing that turned me off of this song. Yeah. yeah. I recognize that the riffs are cool. The groove was good. It had great energy, but just the way the vocals were just kind of meant that I didn't really care for that song in particular. That's fair. Uh, they, they use the same technique at other points in the album, but it's a little different and not quite as, as, as obvious, but. Mm-hmm. I, I, did, I didn't hear it, but I think I was just happy that the bass song wasn't like <laughs> beating me up. Yeah. But then here comes the fucking dump truck back on the next song, which is, be Quick or Be Dead, not the Iron Maiden song, a different one. Um, and it is just, God damn, it's just this like, really, it's a really cool song with a really, again, it's got a really catchy chorus. The guitar playing on, on this record is really good, especially the rhythm yeah. playing. Um, this is, this one definitely has another old school Megadeth jazzy speed metal. The riffs are pretty, pretty tough on this one. This one is this a, this a, this a, this a tough song. You know, yeah, uh, I, I especially liked this one. I thought this was yeah. one of the ones I, I, I liked, especially. Although, I think at this point, you know, I'm not a bass player, I just accepted that the bass tone was what it was and was just kind of going with it. So, I was listening at this point more to the songwriting and the and the guitar riffing. Um, yeah, I was trying to do that too, and it, it is a rad tune. I, I yeah. was at this point, I'm trying not to. I'm like, okay, I got this this obnoxious bass tone, but I'm just gonna power through it and and deal with it. Because that's just, that's just the thing when you're doing a show and you want to listen to an album, give it a fair shake. If there's one thing that's Bob bugging you, you do have to power through it. I mean, you have to like can't just talk about that one thing on every single track. You know, you gotta like yeah. talk, hear about everything. Again, like I I love the speedy picking on this one. Um, real cool jazzy riffing, um, uh, real fast stuff. Chorus is like really catchy again. So this is a really well-written track. Also, I kind of like um, when you get a, like a speed metal track in track four. It's always a little yeah. bit unexpected because um, that's a place where it like, you know, you're allowed to slow down there. We'll, we'll let you slow down if you want to. But then when you <laughs> choose to come in with an even faster song, it's like the, uh, it's the I speed at night thing. You know, that's track mm-hmm. four on yep. Aston Line. You know? Yeah, it's a kind of a good place to put it. That's, that's, that's a good call. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than the bass, I'm, I'm, I think this is a great tune. And I, I'm, I'm, I really dig it. So no complaints about Be Quick or Be Dead. And uh, then, go ahead. I was just going to say, on to Sin City. Yeah, not the ACDC song. No. <laughs> but, you know, two, two famous song titles in a row. I don't know. Well, whatever. I mean, I don't think it's that big a deal, but it just made me laugh. That, like, you know, hey, there's an Iron Maiden song and then, you know, an ACDC song. But hey, I mean, I, I think it's worth keeping in mind that, you know, these guys are the only guys probably playing this kind of music at all in their scene. Oh, and, totally. uh, that's not a big deal. You know, you know, it really isn't a big deal. I'm just making fun. Um, I don't know about what you thought about this song. I, I thought this was pretty damn cool. I, I think this was a standout track for me on the album, mostly because I thought the riffs uh, on, on the guitar parts uh, were were fucking cool. Yeah, I dig them. Uh, there's a lot of like descending chromatics kind of riffs going on. Yeah, I thought I thought that was really cool. Um, it's more of a new wave of British heavy metal vibe going on on this one. Um, 
you know, again, I'm not going to harp on the bass. It's doing its fucking thing again, but you know, <laughs> that is what it is. Um, yeah, but you're right. The riffs are super catchy. I really like that. Those descending chromatic things. That, that's a cool, that's a cool vibe. Um, vocals, vocalist again, a little pitchy at times, but coming through with some more catchy shit, you know, like yeah. the, 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 all, all the melodies here, like there's a lot of earworms, you know, he really knows how to write a good catchy vocal melody that really complements the riff. Um, yeah. Kind of his, that's kind of his strength, like overall as a player. I mean, now that I know he's the bass player too, um, you know, I think he should probably, he probably consider just uh, focusing on singing. Uh, yeah. In my opinion. Um, you know, you can get another guy to play bass, but um, he's a, he's a, he's a definitely a talented uh, dude when it comes to writing a melody. Yeah. Yeah. I thought this song was, was super catchy, super tight. I liked that it had a little bit more scope to it. Uh, like the, the intro actually built the tension pretty well so yep. that I was already kind of excited when the, when the riff, you know, the main riff kicks in. Uh, it also ends really well. It's got a nice, uh, you know, extended bridge with some, some of the best lead work, I think, on the albums on this track. Yeah. No, totally. And they, you know, lead, the lead stuff is quite competent. Like the guitar yeah. players are, are, you know, they're not the next second coming of Malmsteen or anything, but they're, they're really good. Yeah. Um, assuming there's two. There might just be one. I yeah, think. there's two. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, could, I couldn't remember. Um, but yeah, Sin City kicks ass. It's a good, it's a good tune. Um, again, it's, it was cool placement. And there's, it's, there's still some speedy parts in it, but, you know, after a couple, like, faster burners, you know, we kind of, we kind of take it down a little bit and, you know, start rocking out a bit again, which, yeah. which continues into the next song. Yep. Um, and who oh boy in the bass on this one. Um, well, you know, <laughs> what we've got here is a song that's kind of going in a little bit more of a glam direction. Yes. And so there's more space in the sound, and you're going to hear that bass tone. Oh, yeah. And you do. And it is rumbling. And it is called Nights in Tokyo. I don't know what it is about the nighttime in Tokyo, but it is referenced all the time in heavy metal songs. Um, it is. I, and, and synthwave and everything. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't. I mean, I can't imagine having a night out in Tokyo being a bad time. So I can't say I've ever done it, but I bet you it's a lot of fun. And according to a lot of these songs, it, it is. So the song is about the Tokyo night, um, or rather many nights, in, plural nights in Tokyo. Um, but yeah, you're right. This is uh, this is a great, this song would be a great rocker um, if the, uh, if, if two things are fixed. If one of the, obviously I'm gonna say it again, if the bass tone was sensible, and tuned to fit the song it would the baseline he plays in this song is really good yeah. um it's the perfect one to fit the song but it sounds like a dump truck so it screws it up um the backups are also out of tune um yeah which was tough one, yeah this one to me like it, it, i would not call this track a, a big success at least not in my mind um just because they are trying to do something that's, it's not a ballad exactly, but they're trying to do something a little more sensitive uh, in theme. Mm. And um, it's a little bit more exposed in terms of the melodies. And yes. that kind of shows, it, it exposes some of the, the weakness of the, the vocals in doing this kind of thing. It's just, it's not quite what he's suited to um, mm -hmm. as much. And it's yeah. props to them for trying a different style like sure. it does stand out on the album it keeps things interesting it keeps new flavors coming so i'm not going to complain about that but it, to me it didn't 
quite work. It's not really their wheelhouse. It's just the execution is the problem. The, the song itself is well written and the melodies are good and the structure is good. And, you know, the vibe overall is right. Um, it's just a matter of execution because it is a much different skill set to pull off a song like this. You know, like you said, it's simple. Everything's exposed. So the execution on songs like this really has to be dialed in. And if you're going to change up, you know, when you, when you want to change up a song, like you got to think about, you know, your settings on your guitar, on your amp, your bass settings, the vocal mic you use, you know, yeah. changing the drum heads, even possibly lighter sticks. Um, it's about, you know, the dynamics change. So your approach to this song can't be, you know, the, the approach that you have to a speed metal song. It's like right. trying to, um, you know, paint a fine art, if I paint an accurate, like realistic fine art piece with a pressure washer, it doesn't work. Right. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just, just too much. So I just want to pause for a second here and, and talk about the, uh, the names of the members here. Cause I just looked it up for reference and I think we've got, everybody's got like a pseudonym seems oh, like. Oh, sweet. I, I love um, these. Yeah. So, um, on bass and vocals, we have Shake Spitfire. Cool. Okay. Um, on guitars, we've got Nick Stormbringer. Hell yeah. And Brandon Brandy. <laughs> Brandon Brandy. <laughs> and then on drums, we have Ipe. Ipe? Uh, A-I-P. A-I-P. Ipe. So, I mean, and that could be his real well, name. I don't know, but it's just, just, he probably has a, a full name, but that could be a, a nickname or a um i don't know anything about singaporean names or the um the background of these guys because that's i i do know that that's a really incredibly diverse country and everybody speaks like nine languages oh totally it, it's it's a <laughs> it's a very cool place um but yeah it's anyway you know not to harp on this song too hard it's a, it's a cool tune i wish i just wish the execution was a little better and that's you know i i think maybe maybe you know it's just they're, they're, it's only their second full length, so yeah. you know. And recording is recording is tough. I would like to hear live recordings to see how they sound live, uh, especially playing this song. So you know, it's it's something they might tackle again down the road and nail it. Who's the same? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It it shows that they've got the the vision and the ambition to try some different styles. Oh, the, the enthusiasm on this this album yeah. everywhere is is infectious. Like yeah. you know, I'm 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 beating this bass tone into the ground and everything, but I actually like did smile a lot listening to this record. I mean, it yeah. was it, it is it is super fun, and you know the the enthusiasm is top notch. But then we go on to screaming in the moonlight, which um, not going to harp on the bass, but it's doing its thing again. Um, <laughs> it's got one of those like tonight tonight lines in it which i always yeah. which i always think is fucking fun i like that it's it's one of those where it's it's not it's not over complicated the chorus is the title of the song yeah over and over again yeah screaming in the moonlight screaming in the moonlight yeah, yeah. man it's catchy <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was singing along to it in the truck i was yeah. um so yeah the the, the the chorus is super catchy again you know it's just like um you know, I just, again, it's, it's a very cool, it's a fun song that I just wish was pulled off better in the recording. Yeah. I guess that's about all you can say here. This is very similar to Nights of Tokyo, where it's a good idea. Um, if, if they'd have knocked it out of the park, it would have been a major highlight of the record. But, you know, it just didn't happen. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not not as much to say about that one. We've got lyrically the classic, like, you know, serial killer. Yeah. You know, run away. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's fun. It's probably a good live track. I'm sure it is. Uh, the next one from the next one was Break Away, which is one that I didn't really have much to say about at all. It was yeah, yeah. It was a little bit of a if if there's a filler track on this album, it's probably this one and the eight hole. You know. I kind of I kind of thought that was it. it was, they just kind of had it, and it was you know, do we put it on? Well, sure. There's enough you know space on it for for side two of a vinyl release so put it up yeah i mean it's a 38 minute album so yeah it's yeah. not excessively long at all by yeah. any means of the amount these i'll say this like these songs are very concise and they're well structured um these guys know how to write a tune um it's just like you said it's an execution issue um and we see that on full display on the next one with <laughs> in the dark holy shit um so it starts off i really like the harmony to the intro i thought that was um again this is a song that i i love the concept of this song i love the idea behind it i think it was the what they were going for was cool as hell and i I thought if they if this was um yeah, God, if the bass was normal, this would have been a rad tune. But <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's definitely the most epic song on the album. It's the most ambitious song on the album. Yes. Um, and I'm I'm never one to want to punish ambition, so I'm I'm glad yeah. that it that it is that way. I I did like it, but yeah, in in terms of the bass and the vocals, there's a little there's there's some hiccups in both fronts. Yeah, I mean, so what we get bass wise is in the verses. Um, if you haven't heard this, <laughs> there's there's the, the, there's a rolling drum beat, and you know the bass is hitting these punches, and it's very, and you know the the vocalist is singing over top of it, but it's the it's the it sounds like a, a dump truck again trying to start this time and it can't start. It's like, and you just, it's. You know, I, 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 I hate to say it, but I started laughing again because it's hilarious. Like, it's it's really funny. Um, but, again, like I said, I, other than that, and I'm not going to harp on it because what's the point? Um, that would just be my whole thing with this album if I just harped on it, um, which I probably am harping on it. But that's... Well, yeah, but... I'm, I mean, I'm trying not to as much as I can because it has to the- be addressed. Yeah, it's the most distinctive thing on the album in some ways. And so, it's you know, you're going to love it or hate it. Or at the very least, it's going to be the thing you notice. And this song kind of puts it up in your face because, like you say, there's this little figure that's played in the background over the verse. You know, but, you know, it kind of reminds me of... um You know, you know how, like, the Tuban throat singers will use that vocal fry technique to... But you know, have you ever been around somebody who like thinks they're good at that? Like, yeah, dude, I can do the throat singing thing. It's just like this. <laughs> yes, I've actually seen that on a stage before. Yeah, but yeah, it's but uh, again, let's not harp on that. Um, you like you said, it's ambitious. Um, there's a lot of different things going on in this song. There's some cool dynamics. I liked it overall. Yeah, there's. I, there's a lot of emotion in it that seems genuine to me. And I like that. Yeah, totally. So it's, 
you know, it's, it's, it, it is, it is a cool tune. I hope that they try more stuff like this because this is, this is very cool. And I don't want to, like you said, you don't, certainly don't want to stop people from trying to branch out and be ambitious and, you know, go for the gusto on a couple tracks. Cause you know, it's cool. It's definitely good to have some concise rockers and some, you know, very to the point tracks, but you also do want to like have some times where you, you push the envelope a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think and it's something we've touched on a couple of times is, is this, this album's put together in a pretty intelligent way. Like it's smart how they, how they arrange the tracks, um, how it flow it flows really well. Like it goes down easy, like despite, um, despite some of the sounds themselves being a little bit rough, just putting it on and listening to it. It's one of those that like goes by real fast. And I didn't really find myself getting tired of it. I didn't have a problem listening to it all the way through. No, absolutely. It goes by real fast, goes down real easy. Uh, it's not a hard listen. No. And part of that's that it's just very intelligent track selection in terms yeah. of the order it unfolds in. And, and, is, is in, well and in the songs themselves, you could tell they've edited themselves. You know, they, the songwriting wise, structurally, mm-hmm. they, they, these songs have been written, thought about, refined, edited, and, and, and you know, hammered into something consistent. Um, I just hope that next time the same energy goes into the, the tone selection and the recording process, mm-hmm. because that's all that's missing for this band. All that's missing for this band is somebody, I mean, it'd be great if they worked with a producer or somebody who could try to coax, like, like, let's think about what we're going for here as far as a big picture thing. Let's work on some tones that reflect what we're going for, support the songs, that enhance the songs um, rather than take away from it, which unfortunately is what we find here, especially with the bass and some of the other selections, maybe with vocal production and editing where they actually, you know, detract from the songs rather than add to them. Yeah, I mean, because they've got, they've got a lot of cool stuff going for them. And they also, you know, be, being from a place that, that there's not, I mean, not a lot of people can name any metal bands from Singapore. Certainly, you know, not from Southeast Asia in general, I don't think. And especially not in the new wave of traditional heavy metal. And that does mean that they're going to be noticed if they get out there. I mean, imagine yeah. playing, playing Keep It True or something, and you've got bands from all over the world but uh you know this these guys might be the only ones who you know come from that entire giant portion of the globe and and i would imagine that it's tough i mean i'm not an expert but i would imagine that it's tougher to find somebody who is going to be adept at really heavy producing and engineering heavy metal records in singapore than it is here or most places in the modern world but the only reason i'm kind of beating up the bass one a lot is because that's a decision Right. Like that's a choice. It's actually, you have to actively seek that out and manipulate your amp to make it do that. It's it's not like, Oh, the bass tone's generic and you know, it just, there's nothing to it or the mids are scooped out or whatever. It just doesn't quite measure up. No, it's, it's fucked. (laughs) Like you listen to this album, you know what I'm talking about. It's pretty fucked. Um, It kind of reminds me of like, you know, I remember, back when I was playing shows as a teenager, we had this like local music venue in the town I grew up where they were like, you know, every weekend there are multiple local bands of kids playing, which was awesome. It was awesome to be part of that scene. But, you know, you know, you'd see a lot of, a lot of punk bands and a lot of bands where it's like somebody pulls out their like Epiphone, you know, or their like Squire 
mm. jazz bass, you know, with like a fucked up pickup and like lots of skateboarding stickers on it. And that's kind of like the sound I would expect yeah. to hear, you know, yeah. not exactly something I'd expect to hear on a heavy metal record. No, and this is, this, 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 <laughs> this, this, this tone is actually quite processed, you know, like it's, 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 it's processed and it's engineered to sound like that, which is very, like, it's just a confusing decision, but Hey, it's not my record. So, um, but moving on from candle in the dark, we have a very strong closer in my opinion. Yeah. Um, which is Hellions of the Night. And this is a very speedy song. It's got like some Wasp vibes on it, which I, oh, yeah. I found. Um, mm-hmm. The bass is okay on this song. Um, it, it doesn't, I, I think maybe he's not playing the, the big E string, so it, it works, but this is a great choice for an album closer. And it left it left me with a good taste in my mouth for the record. When I agree. I, yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, it's a great track. One of the One of the best songs on the album, if not, potentially the, the best one actually it's a, a lot of fun um again difficult guitar riffs it's in the same world as that be quick and be dead song but i think mm-hmm. it, it's stronger um so it's definitely a, a picking a, a strong ending track and a hard-hitting ending track yeah and by going the by, by using the wasp vibe which especially in the vocals they kind of get to combine that their love of like the 80s you know trad glam scene with threat with the thrash stuff in a very yeah. intelligent way so um more of this guys like this is this yeah. is a wicked this is a wicked song and i kind of feel like this this song encompasses kind of what they were trying to do with the variety between the two styles that they were playing but yeah. it's in one tune and it works yeah it's it's simple it's fast it's hard hitting and i mean you and i both know there's a lot of "Quote unquote speed metal bands out there right now. It's a term and, that gets thrown around. You know? Yeah, but a lot of it's not as good as as this track, at least. <laughs> no, this and is this is fast as hell. It's it's shadow yeah. picking. It's it's blindingly fast, and yeah, it's, this this is tough, man. Like some of these, these these this band, they got chops, dude. Like they absolutely got chops. Like there's some tricky shit on this record, and some fast tricky shit, and it's played it's played clean. And it's not edited. So, like, the, the, there's a lot of skill. There's a lot of technical skill in this band. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I, hope they, uh, I hope they keep at it and I'd be interested to hear what their third album is going to be like. Totally. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm going to give Witchseeker a recommendation from me, even though, you know, I kind of harped on, you know, the bass tone pretty hard. Um, not going to lie, it does... To me, it does. I'm not going to be listening to a lot of these songs because of it, which is unfortunate. Um, it did fuck up a lot of them for me. But I am glad that we listened to it, and I am glad that this band's on my radar because I am going to be watching them closely, and I will listen to anything they put out in the future. Because um, I think they're 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 coming of age. You know, if you listen, like you said, if you listen to their old stuff, it's a little lo-fi. The production is very very rough, and this is the first time that they've kind of broken out of that, and they have you know, gotten a more coherent production together for a record. So it's kind of like the next step in their evolution. And it very well could be that the next album or the one after that is the one where they really hit their stride and they put out something really spectacular. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, Witchseeker, hey hey guys, you know, all the way from Seattle to Singapore, man, keep it up. You know, thank you for making what is actually a really cool record. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing what's next. Hell yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that wraps up our Witch Seeker discussion. And I guess we're going to move on to 
our picks of the week. And once again, you know, me being, uh, even though I live in America, I am definitely, you know, 100% Canadian. Um, I'm going to rep something from my home country again. Um, this is a band, this is from a band called Kick Axe. Not Kick Axe, Kick Axe. Um, uh, an album called Vices. This is a very classic album in a lot of like, you know, um, underground traditional metal circles. Um, these guys um, found a pretty good amount of success in the 80s. Um, they started in the 70s. I think it was like, I think I read they started in about 74. Um, this is their easily their most, this might be their only known album to a lot of people. Um, it's, but it's easily their, their best, their best known album. And the best known song is heavy metal shuffle. That's kind of like the classic <laughs> tune. Um, it's a wicked, it's a wicked riff. Um, uh, this one came out in 84 on Pasha records. I guess it was some small independent record, but CBS records picked it up and distributed it. So, you know, that kind of shows you how, big they were at one point in time and they in 84 they had CB, cbs records um distributing this and mine is an original pressing um so because the barcode actually says also on cassette on it <laughs> so you can get this on you could get this on cassette as well um which was i guess a big deal in 84 um but yeah i mean this is this album comes along when heavy metal is kind of like at a fever pitch you know 84 it's really broken into the mainstream and these guys had a couple hits um they put out another album after this one. They broke up in 88 and then in 2003, they did a comeback and they made another full length and around then. And I actually saw these guys in 2004 at a tiny club in Vancouver called the Mesa Luna or Luna Mesa or some shit like that. Um, and it was really fun. Um, really cool to, 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 to see this band that I'd kind of, it was interesting. I first heard these guys. There's, so there's a, a, a movie um, that, I don't know. You and me haven't watched it. We should watch it. Um, maybe when we're kicking it this weekend, we'll watch it. It's called Fubar. Yeah, um, I've heard of. I've heard of it. I've, I've been wanting to see it for a while. It, it is. It's about these two Hesher Canadians from Calgary who just are total. They're what we call skids, and a lot of people know that that word from Letterkenny. But they're total fucking skid burnout dudes. Uh, they're just drinking and being idiots. Um, and they had the soundtrack was younger bands covering. Um, classic Canadian songs. Mm -hmm. I actually think it was a band called, I don't know, you know the band Sum 41? Yeah, I do actually, yeah. Okay, so Sum 41 covered Heavy Metal Shuffle. And I was like, man, Sum 41 kind of blows, but that's a wicked tune. Yeah. Um, so I, I went and see, seeked out this this song and turned out that, you know, more than this whole record is really good, not just uh, Heavy Metal Shuffle. And this band is from Regina, Saskatchewan. Hmm. Saskatchewan which is one of the coldest places on earth. Southern Saskatchewan, winter there is, un, is very tough. Um, mm -hmm. But um, this, this album has like, you know, like I said, Heavy Metal Shuffle is a big hit, but um, On the Road to Rock, Cause for Alarm, um, you know, there's some wicked tunes on this one. Alive and Kickin', um, yeah, there's, there's, it's, just, it's just a wicked tune. It's well-produced, it's well-mixed. Um, I guess they made, they went up, they, these Saskatchewan farm boys went down to uh, Hollywood to make this record. So, you know, it's made in California. Um, and uh, they still play. They're still active. They don't really tour much. They play in Canada a lot and they do like a lot of festival appearances. You'll see them pop up once in a while in a festival. 
Um, so yeah, they're still, still on the go. So if you have a chance to see them, I highly recommend it. Um, an interesting side note about Kick-Axe, they were actually on the soundtrack to the original Transformers movie, the one huh. that came on 86, uh, but they were not listed as Kick-Axe. Now, I don't know if it was a legal thing or if they maybe thought that Kick-Axe was too close to Kick-Ass and that was not a tab, that's, it's the 80s, so, you know, it's a kid's <laughs> show. They probably, so they were, appeared as, a, they appeared as Spectre General. Um, huh. And they, uh, I don't know why, I don't know why they changed the name, but they had two songs. There's Hunger and Nothing's Gonna Stand in Our Way. And I love that soundtrack. I loved it when I was a kid. I watched that movie when I was a kid. And I don't know if you, you you're a little bit younger than me. So like Transformers were kind of like at a fever pitch at that point in time. And mm. um, they, the movie comes out and the people who made the movie decided that they were going to kill off the old Autobots, like a bunch of the, the Autobots and a bunch of the Decepticons so they could roll out the next line of toys. Like in the storyline, all these old guys are dead. <laughs> and then they can introduce these new characters, right? Because it's all about the whole, the whole point of the cartoon is to sell the toys. Right, so, like, like He-Man, right? Same kind of thing. Exactly. So, but, you know, when you watch the show, like, like they basically shoot at each other, but they were like a bunch of stormtroopers. They couldn't hit the wide side of a fucking barn. So no one got shot. No one got killed. And all of a sudden, all these kids go to see the movies, and these guys are just get shot up. And you're like, what? Right? So we're all freaking out. And Optimus Prime dies in this movie. And he yeah. has this really dark, tragic death scene where he dies slowly on his bed. And he has, like, this thing inside him that's kind of like his life force. And he has them remove it so he can give it to another guy. And then he passes away. And kids are crying, like, <laughs> left, right, and center. I went and saw it with a buddy of mine. And he... I remember like we were sitting in the theater, we watched it and he got up after this, he got to leave and he was gone for a while. So, you know, I think, I think my mom was with me or something. She's like, go, go find where he is. So I looked and he's at the bottom of the staircase. He's holding his knee and he's crying. And he's like, I fell down the stairs. I fell down the stairs. Well, years later he admitted to me that he was just crying because Optimus Prime and he's embarrassed. <laughs> and he didn't want to cry in front of me. So he just pretended that he fell down the stairs and grabbed his knee so he could like, cry for another reason that I guess was tougher <laughs> so he admitted that to me like only like a few years ago like, and this was, like <laughs> in 1986 or something this movie came out or 1988 so he held on to that for a long time um, oh man that sounds rough yeah but it, well, it's, it's a, if you haven't seen it it's actually like it's a pretty it's, it's, it's a quintessential animated 80s movie and it's very it's, 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 ama it's amazing it doesn't, doesn't age particularly well I guess but it's a very much a snapshot in time. And Kick-Axe wrote a couple rad tunes for it. But my point is, Vice is by Kick-Axe. If you haven't heard it and you like just true, great, classic 80s metal, you know, you can could, you could find this record like in every bargain. I, I bought this at High Voltage in Tacoma for like six bucks. You know, you can find this record like anywhere. So if you see it in the bar, if you see Kick-Axe Vice in the bargain bin at your local music store, pick it up. Cool. All right. What you got, brother? All right. Well, um, we're going to go back into the 70s and do a little bit of a prog thing. Um, oh, nice. This is not, not really a metal album by any means, but, you know, it's interesting. I have found that, like, a lot of metalheads really dig this album. Um, and it's it, in a roundabout sort of way, it, it's uh, kind of partially responsible for my entrance into heavy metal. So um, this is... 
1976, the album Moon Madness uh, by the British prog band Camel. Um, now, Camel was my dad's favorite band when he was like in his 20s. So to me, and, and he played it a lot. Like I grew up listening to this album and all of Camel's albums. So this is, this is dad rock to me. This is literal dad rock. Nice. But, um, <laughs> but it, it's, it's really stuck around as one of my all-time favorite albums this one in particular um it's a uh, kind of stripped down kind of simplified prog approach and i think that's kind of what's given it some enduring popularity is it doesn't have a lot of bells and whistles it doesn't have pink floyd samples and shit it's a four-piece band um the main songwriter is this guy andy latimer who plays guitar and flute is carmen Apice on this one not on this one, no. Okay. okay. No, um, it's we've got um, Peter Bardens is a is a keyboard player who co-wrote some of the songs. We've got, and then the secret weapon of Camel is kind of this rhythm section. Um, Andy Ward and uh, Doug Ferguson, Andy Ward on drums, Doug Ferguson on mm. bass, and it's just a really groovy, really tight rhythm section on this album it's recorded really well. So you've got a lot of these like really kind of ethereal um lyrical guitar solos with kind of harmonized keyboard parts under this really solid or over this really solid driving rhythm section and it just makes a really satisfying combination um this band was a big influence on um the band everybody knows is my favorite band opeth the reason I got into Opeth in the first place is because my dad was like, hey, I've been hearing about this band that cites Camel as a major influence. Mm. And especially at that point, fewer people had heard of Camel, you know, in, in 2000, I think it was, there hadn't been like a 70s revival quite in the same way at that point. No, there hadn't. Um, so he was like, you should check out that band since you're into heavier stuff. And I, I checked out Opeth and, and for me, like it opened all these doors. So a lot of that's because of Camel. Uh, this is an album that just has this really kind of incredible to me uh, groovy but really ethereal beautiful atmosphere but it's also got this really uh, I don't know in, it's got this really engrossing darkness to it it's a really melancholy album so this cover art's kind of perfect here we've got this like lonely figure sitting in the evening like contemplating the void and this kind of semi-Asian style, kind of semi-Art Nouveau style thing. This is also the only album that I have two copies of just because I couldn't resist when I found an old original pressing. Now look, we've got this, this the classic album cover is this like- Yeah, I've seen this one. artistic thing. But the American album cover is a fucking camel in a spacesuit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that rules, man! That. <laughs> <laughs> With a little British flag on it, you know. So it's British camel on the moon, and then you open it. Wow! Up you oh, you get the then you get the good one on the, in the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, I think they figured. I don't know, like the North American audiences wouldn't go for subtlety or something, so they're like, let's put a fucking camel in a spacesuit. Hey, man! Um, Camels on the moon. Why not? Yeah. So anyway, uh, if, if you're at all inclined towards the, the progressive or atmospheric, if you want to hear really gorgeous, clean guitar solos and a lot of really cool keyboard shit, um, throw this shit on. It's a nice short album. 
It's got um, just seven tracks on it, you know, six, seven minute kind of duration. Um, basically, every member of the band sings. None of them sings especially well. They all just kind of mumble, but it works. Um, it, it's just, it, there's kind of nothing like the atmosphere of this album. Um, especially the second side. I mean, the first side kicks ass, but the second side is kind of a little bit harder rocking. The track Another Night is one of the, uh, I mean, it's not a heavy thing at all, but it's one of kind of the rockinest camel mm -hmm. songs. The song Airborne is this really sweeping epic, has this huge flute melody, feels really cosmic. And then the song Lunar Sea is um, an instrumental that's definitely one of the, the kind of seminal camel songs because uh, it just hits this incredible groove and um, I don't know how to describe it. I mean, it takes you to another planet. That's that's what I like about this kind of music. Um, yeah. And it's definitely one of those things, like I've, I've talked to a bunch of people in the metal scene who like this album. Um, certainly is a big influence on uh, the guys from Spell. Uh, who totally. You talked about their album um, a few weeks ago. Um, so yeah, so if if you wanna if you wanna dip into some seventy sounds that maybe you haven't heard before and kind of get a little bit of that medieval wizard feeling that I certainly, uh, as we all know, I certainly go for that that feeling. So uh, yeah, Camel Move Madness, definitely check it out. Like it. All right, that's cool. I mean, Camel is actually a band that I've been meaning to explore a little bit more. So you'll have to text me some recommendations as a starting point. Cause... Yeah, I will do. Like it, it's. Um they're it's they're very low-key but the, within the subtlety there's a lot of complexity and a lot of uh a lot of beauty and a lot of like really solid tight playing so i, I don't know that i'd call this a breakfast album this is more like a um you know maybe pre-bedtime listening to a night or drinking your nightcap it's a nightcap talking album. to your friends yeah, yeah exactly i like that that's a nightcap yeah. album cool yeah. i like that metal for breakfast and for nightcaps. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> all right. Well, so, all right. So that's our picks of the week and hope you help everybody. If you haven't heard kick X or camel, like get your ass out there, check it out. I'm, I'm going to be uh, waiting for my man here to give me some recommendations and spinning some camel over the next couple of days. Yeah. Um, so we're going to move into a little discussion here. Um, that's kind of relevant to the state of the world. Um, yeah, I got, it's kind of inspired by the fact I got my second COVID vaccine coming up on Sunday, which mm -hmm. I both am and am not looking forward to because the first one uh, mildly beat me up. I'd say I was pretty, you know, after the shot, I was a little bit feeling a little off. I mean, it's like that with any vaccine, really. I mean, I've gotten a ton of vaccines in my life. And, you know, whenever you introduce something with antibodies and the serum to fight those antibodies and your immune system adjusts to it, it's a bit rough. So that's a bit rough, and I hear that they, I hear the shot too is a motherfucker. So you got the Moderna, right? No Pfizer. Oh Pfizer, okay. Yeah, I don't so know I, as much about that one, but it it, it 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 hits everyone differently. There's people who like haven't don't have any symptoms. Other people say, oh, it's brutal. Um, I got it pretty good the first time, so I'm assuming I've taken the next two days off work after so Monday and Tuesday. I've booked those two days off, just assuming that I'm going to be a bag of shit. Um, yeah. So. With that in mind, you know, and, and vaccinations in the States are ramping up and, you know, hopefully, you know, all signs six, seven months ahead, people are still showing signs of being immune. So, you know, so far so good. So that means, you know, we're starting to, you know, open up, open her up a little bit again. 
I think it's, you know, it's interesting. Like, I'm, you know, me and, me and me both have kind of constantly been like, man, it's been a hell of a week lately. And I think everyone's just got so used to that. We've all got so used to that lockdown lifestyle that now that we got to do shit again, we're like, what's, yeah. we're like, yeah, we're like, what's this like? You know, now that works, everyone's job is going like, you know, almost, you know, it's going about 80% again. And, you know, there's more traffic out there, and et cetera, et cetera. And commitments are starting up. We're like, man, how do we balance all this stuff? Because you, you just used to going home and like drinking and watching shit on TV and talking to people on the internet. Um, yep. So we're going to talk, talk a little bit about what, it might look like with shows coming back. Um, now we, as our band Greyhawk have been offered a couple shows um, and we've kind of said maybe to a few, no to a lot. Um, because for me, I don't know that, I mean, we're like, I, not a little bit of a humble brag here, but Greyhawk, if, if we're playing in a town we played before or our hometown, we generally don't play to half full venues, you know, like we generally bring a good amount of people out. Um, if we're playing a place that we're, that we've played before, or like I said, anywhere in Seattle, um, we generally like, and I don't really see the appeal of playing to half full venues. The flip side is I know these places need money. Um, I definitely know that, you know, these, a lot of these live venues are trying to support themselves with like takeout or to go booze or to go cocktails or whatever. I have a hard time, you know, they're probably having to take out loans or having to, you know, wait for assistance from the government, which is, you know, that's never a thing you really want to sit and wait on because it's not a safe bet. Um, so I, I guess I got, I guess I have mixed feelings on that where I'm like, I don't know if I really have the, want to go to shows that are half full and have social distance restrictions to them. But at the same time, like I understand economically that our, our friends who run these venues need help. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, at a, I think we would all like, and I remember thinking this way back at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, once it had been going on for a couple of months thinking like, man, I wish that when this was all over, it just was like, you know, you snap your fingers in your back and suddenly we all get to go out and have one big party and just like have this incredible release all at once. But, you know, I know that the world doesn't work that way. I know that like a virus, a pandemic doesn't work that way. So I, I, this whole time I've known it's going to be rough getting back into it because of all the uncertainty and because we want to go back to going hundred miles an hour and it's just probably not going to happen that way it's going to be yeah. awkward it's going to be step by step it's going to be in fits and starts and there's going to be disagreement on what we all should be doing and social pressure and it's going to be a little messy and um, now we're getting into that point and just like you said like things are starting up we're doing more stuff but we don't have the ability to really plan ahead like we did you know, like before the pandemic, we had to do all this stuff, but we were also able to like plan ahead and think ahead about how we were going to deal with it. But now it's like every week is like bringing up a new situation. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. And I mean, there's, you know, so for us, like we've got, I mean, we still, we've got two shows. I'm not going to go into details because, you know, we've, the ones we've kind of said a tentative yes to, one is an outdoor gig. So, you know, you think about that. Um, we're already allowed to, I, I think in phase, if, if we have in Washington is these phases. So like phase three, I think 
I think outdoor gatherings are almost unlimited to a point. Like you can have like a few, you have a few hundred people together anyway, outdoors. Mm -hmm. So to me, that makes, that sounds fun. That makes sense. And then there's another one where we were booked with a national act that's kind of been held over and seems like it's going to go. But I mean, I don't know. Is that band going to want to hit the road to have full venues? I don't know. Um, yeah, because it's one thing to play one gig in your own town to have sure. full venue. It's another thing to go on a 30-city tour. And lose a fucking whole bunch of money. Yeah. You know? And so, and then like, you know, you just wonder, you know, because all the things with the vaccine are so vague. Um, they're like, you know, if two people, if, people, if a bunch of people are all vaccinated, and it's two weeks past your second shot, y'all can like basically fuck and you're not going to get sick. There's no chance. There's no danger of anybody getting infected and going to the hospital and dying. Is, mm -hmm. But you throw an unvaccinated motherfucker in the mix and then that changes the game from what I'm reading currently. So that basically probably to me means masks and venues um, mm -hmm. and probably social distancing in venues which you know after a few drinks you think people are gonna care <laughs> I, I i i don't see that happening especially when they had see, you know no one's seen each other in a long time and that's that's the fun of a show i mean of course like the main thing is seeing the band you love but the other one is seeing your friends and having and, and letting loose and having a couple beverages and you know, hugging your friends and, 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 you know, really like, it's a release of emotion, you know? You can yeah. And it's, I mean, in, in, in heavy metal, especially, uh, there's a big physical component, right? Like it's certainly the mosh way pit. You, yeah. We can have socially distanced mosh pits, but everybody in a, those like indoor, like human soccer ball things, those bubbles, everyone slam around. I mean, that actually sounds kind of fun. You can all just like <laughs> stand in a circle and just stare at each other and be like, I'm crushing you with my mind now. Yeah, yeah. This is the mind meld of death. <laughs> mind meld washing, moshing. Yeah. So it's it's just. I mean, God. Like I mean, I don't. I don't that's one thing I never thought about with that gig we got offered. So those guys even gonna want to tour. Um, and I guess at this point we really don't know. But I, you know, like you said, I mean, I guess for me it was always like this thought that for a while I thought that you know yeah we're gonna. When everything comes back, it's going to be crazy because we're going to play a show and everyone's going to come out and it's going to be super intense. But you're right. I mean, things aren't going to just open up overnight. It's going to be a gradual process. And um, how, and you know, like, like I said, a lot of these venues from need help from us bands to get people in the door because no one goes to drink at El Corazon. No one goes to drink at the Highline for the hell of drinking there. Like you go there to see a show. And that's where they make their money is when, you know, they get, you know, I'm sure they're open during the week when there's no live music and, you know, there's people that go eat there and have a couple of beers, but they make their money when some bands play and a couple hundred people come in and everybody, you know, drinks the bar dry. That's how they, that's how these places make their money. So, I don't know. Again, it causes that conflict in my brain. I'm like, do I want to play a show with social distancing and restrictions and everything, or do I want to try to make sure these venues I love playing stay alive? Yeah, it's it's just going to have to be done on a case by case basis, I think, and 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 there'll be a certain kind of momentum that builds up too, because you know, it, 
it's one thing to say like, well, we want to, we want to wait until we've got a good crowd and we, we have a show that we feel hundred percent good about, but like at a certain point, if a bunch of other bands are playing socially distant shows or playing smaller shows, and that's kind of like what's happening in the scene, then it's not that it's a competition, but it kind of, some of those same dynamics apply. It's like, well, we're not going to want to be sitting around while other bands that are also good and respected are, you know, playing in front of people. Sure. And well, the other thing that's interesting is the idea that I know the EU, the EU is working on um, like a digital vaccine passport where the, the gist of it that I've read is like, you know, it gives you a little QR code that says you're vaccinated and you go to wherever and you go beep beep, sign it and, 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 you know, scan it. And then QR readers, they don't cost nothing. And, you know, there is, the option for bars to say no vaccine, no entry. Yep. You know, so that would be my preference to be honest. <laughs> yep. Like if you just let people who are vaccinated, then at least even if it's half full, everyone can go nuts. You know, you can take your mask off and you can rock out and put your arms around your friends and have a good ass time. Like we did, you know, in early 2020. Yeah. Um, so that would be my preference. Um, I don't mind if there's less people, you know, it, it's, it's not always about the size of the crowd. I mean, I'm not just speaking from a performer standpoint, I'm speaking from a concert goer standpoint. Yeah. Um, I just don't want to have to really, I mean, apart from, you know, my, I don't, I don't want to have to govern my behavior too much, I guess, when I'm at a rock and roll show. Yeah. That is a little bit contrary to the spirit of the thing. It's, it's hard. It'd be hard for me, man. You see me at a, at a Ross the Boss gig. I can't oh, sure. help but get into it, you know? It's, it's, uh, it's just a, it's a visceral reaction, and it's really hard to not do that. So I'm just, I don't know, man. It's like they're talking about And some of these, like some of these venues are like, hey, music's coming back in May. They've got shows booked. They're, they're putting flyers up, you know? Some people are, some of these places are like this, like this is going in May, and you're like, holy shit, you know, um, what's that going to be like? Because, you know, me and, you know, me, me and Nate, the drummer from Greyhawk, we go to the Nine Pound Hammer all the time, or we used to. Um, after lockdown, we didn't go. But we went back a couple weeks ago, and, you know, it was cool. Um, closes earlier, but it closes earlier. So, you know, you get in there after practice, and you can have, like, two beers. You know, we don't have, like, the good three, three-and-a-half-hour bullshit session like we used to. It's like, get in and hang out for an hour and a bit and bye-bye, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, uh, and then they got the plexiglass up around the bar. So you can't sit. We always used to sit at the bar and talk to the bartenders and the staff that we knew and can't do that. Um, so it was still fun. I mean, we definitely like still had a good time, but it wasn't like, you know, quite as cool as it was. So I'm just, you know, yeah, it's it's just going to come back bit by bit. And of course, I, you know, I know some people who are already playing shows, but that's usually in other genres. I think it's a bit different, like, you know, sipping your martini while you listen to a jazz band or listen to some blues sure. or something sure. is a bit of a different thing than going to see obituary, you know, yeah, exactly. in terms of how you're going to behave. <laughs> oh, totally. Um, you know, and there's that, that dopey ass bar down in Portland, that East Side Bar and Grill has been doing shows the whole time. <laughs> shut down but like that bar generally like has the same six people in it anyway so there's (laughs) there's like predetermined social distancing you know so they 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 are 
they're always under the the limit for people because no one ever goes to that damn bar anyway so um yeah but I, I you know i generally agree with you i think it would be better to you know limit the number of people and not the behavior if possible if possible you know, if, that, um, if that's the choice i'm with you i would rather go nuts in a room with five other people where it's safe than be awkwardly trying to like stay away from 50 people <laughs> it sounds terrible yeah and he imagine like playing on the high line or something and look back and and like people are six feet apart all the way to the back of the room. Yeah. That's an odd visual. Yeah. So no. be, that would be a, that'd be an interesting uh, thing. So, you know, again, it just, well, once I have my vaccine, I'm my second vaccine, I'm generally, I'm not going to be careless for sure. I'm definitely going to, but I'm, I'm I, at that point, I'm okay with going out places, you know, I'll be okay with going and sitting at, you know, bars that i don't know like i'm okay with like the nine pound because i know people there they're not they're not stupid and um you know we we checked it out and they were obeying the 25 percent or 30 percent capacity thing and tables were spaced out it was it was chill um a lot of places aren't doing that and like, i don't i don't begrudge them at all for not doing it you know first of all i mean these people need money they're trying to keep their businesses open try to keep the lights on and second of all how do you expect a restaurant or a bar that's just a pub to govern that? They don't have a doorman. They don't have anybody like taking a head count at the door. You know, people come in, seat themselves or whatever. Like, how do you expect them to fully regulate that? You know, especially just when they have whoever serving. That's not in their skill set or in their job description. So, but it also means for me as someone who has gotten sick with COVID severely, as you did as well, you know, I don't want to repeat that. So it means I stay hell away. Um, yeah. But after vaccine number two and two weeks, I'm going to be pretty much ready to go um, and, and, and get out and do some things again. Um, but do, again, it just comes back to do I want to see rock and roll light? Yeah. <laughs> or like rock and roll redux. I wonder, like, I wonder if some bands might choose to take a bit of a different approach with their show i'm trying to think of like i'm imagining a scenario where our band is asked to play like hey there's this socially distanced show at the high line for example mm-hmm. our kind of home field in seattle for listeners elsewhere um we're gonna there's gonna be a socially distanced show at the high line but it's to save the high line you know it's a it's a fundraiser it's a benefit to keep the venue alive we'd love to have you guys on there will you play it and i i, I it's hard to imagine turning that down. We wouldn't turn it down. Hell no. But we might be like, if this is going to be a show where there's no moshing and everyone's going to be kind of more like a, you know, classical music audience, maybe we should adjust our set to to reflect that and and have it be more like an evening with Greyhawk where we like play an album all the way through or something like that, rather yeah. than than trying to like build a set to get people as stoked as possible, which is usually what we would do. Yeah, we usually um, definitely worry more about people's emotions than what songs we play, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, there, there might be ways around it. I think outdoor shows are great, you know? I think that's a great idea. Like, why not? If, if you can get people going for an outdoor gig, then, you know, get them, get, get, that, get that going. Let's, let's, let's make that happen. Um, yeah, but I mean, I don't know how to what extent behavior is going to be governed because if you're like outside and like 
rubbing your face in somebody else's armpit. I don't know that that's the outsideness of it really helps that I mean, much at that point. It, it, it helps with like a bit of the, the, the standing room thing. Like, I mean, you definitely can't be like moshing and hugging everyone, but you know, you don't have to like worry as much about everybody being super, super far away. You know, you, you can be, you can be a little more laissez-faire about it. Um, yeah. So, and, and mainly for, yeah. And also, yeah, like there's less numbers restrictions in, in, in that environment. So you can at least get more people out and create a bit more of a vibe. And it's outdoors. Like it's just fucking cool. So, um, but it's just, yeah, it's hard to imagine a show where like a scenario without these, just the random shit that happens at rock shows. So I'm thinking about like when I was a teenager, the first time I went to see Opeth with, with one of my buddies was on the sounds of the underground tour, which was a really weird tour because it had some, you know, big metal bands that had Guar was on it, Strapping Young Lad. Yeah, I saw a couple Opeth and yeah. yeah, but it also had a bunch of like metal core and stuff. Anyway, I guess that's beside the point. But there was a, but Clutch played right before Opeth. So, and that was the first time I'd heard Clutch. And I mean, they were amazing, mm. right? Uh, we, we may have talked about this. I Clutch is great. Um, but uh, so the crowd kind of cleared out and, and I'm standing there minding my own business, just kind of waiting my favorite band to come on and this guy comes running up to me i mean i, I can see his face this tall thin guy wearing a, a military style jacket covered with clutch patches like a battle jacket but only for clutch I know and <laughs> and the dude is just like he runs up to me just looks me in the face and starts going clutch clutch <laughs> clutch and then he like just grabs me and hugs me and starts like jumping up and down and tears are streaming down his face and he's like crying and just saying clutch, clutch. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah, man. yeah man clutch <laughs> oh yeah dude those those are uh, yeah it, it is those silly stories that you remember you know and yeah if everyone's being socially distant you know you never would have got Hugged by crazy clutch Tourette's guy. So, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, but it, it's just, you know, and certain people go to shows, you know, to have a space where they can not restrict their behavior. And exactly that's, that's a hundred percent me, man. When I, when I go to see a band I love, like, you know, I mean, it's funny. Like I think back home, like I had the reputation of being a guy that like always gets wasted and it's like, I was never even like at some of these shows, like I was never even like the drunkest guy in the room. I was just the guy having the most fun. Like <laughs> when I go see a, a Sabbath show or a Maiden show or a Manowar show or a Clutch show or Fu Manchu, Orange Goblin or any band that I love and I know a lot of the words, I am going to lose my shit. Like, cause like I am still like, even though I've been playing and, 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 and I'm a musician still like that same, you know, 18 year old metal kid who was like, you know, uh, obsessed with all these albums by all these new bands I was discovering. I still have that same level of enthusiasm for seeing one of my favorite bands. And I love just letting loose and not giving a shit what anybody thinks because everybody else there is either on the same page as me or if they're not, fuck them. I don't care. Um, but yeah, that's definitely the appeal of a live show to me. It's just being able to go. There's, of course, there's different aspects. Like I like going to see an orchestra play and we're going to see like a blues band and that's just a completely different experience or even go and see like a virtuoso like Steve Vai play where you just kind of watch and take it all mm -hmm. in. Um, but you know, I, I, 
go see Hammerfall or something. And when they play one of my favorite songs off the first two records, you bet your ass I'm going to be losing my shit. So I definitely, that is one of my favorite things about a show is being able to just lose your lose yourself in the atmosphere of the moment. And without the ability to do so, I don't know. It, it, it'll be interesting. To, I'd have to go, I'd have to give, give it a shot, I guess. I would, I would give it a shot. But um, uh, very skeptical, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think just if it's going to happen that way, it, but it, if it's going to happen that way, it won't happen for long. It'll be a temporary arrangement. And I think it's probably best if everyone understands um, that it's just a different environment. Like, I don't know, like, I think a lot of us have probably had the experience of seeing a band we like in like a seated venue, for example, where maybe ideally we wouldn't be seeing them in a seated venue. But, yeah. you know, that's just the way it, it shakes out. And sometimes it's a lot of fun. Oh my God. I got a story about that. Um, the first time I saw Iron Maiden in on a brave new world tour in 2001, I think we talked about this show. It was the one with Queensryche and Rob Halford solo. Mm-hmm. Band opening. Um, it was seated on the floor. So, you know, me and my bud had seen the tickets and they kept telling people like, you kill, don't walk around. You got to sit in, sit in your chair. And I do remember, like, one of the guys saying to me, like, um, like, I was walking. I think I was just going to say hi to somebody or something. I was talking to someone. He says, you got to stand over there. Like, that's your seat. Your seat's over there. You have to be where your seat is. I was like, really? So I went over and popped the seat, the chair out of the, out of the little chain thing. Took it and threw it towards the back of the, the stadium. I said, well, now my seat's over there. And then... After that, everybody started doing that. So just, all these people just pulled their chairs up and piled them up at the back of the stadium, and security just went whatever. And the people, <laughs> people in the first three rows were pissed because like they paid good money for those tickets. Right but now, everyone's like swarming up there, and you know it, it was basically a GA show on the floor. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, those those shows are weird. I saw it was it was Judas Priest, and. That was kind of odd to be seated, but the opening band was Anthrax. And like watching them play Caught in a Mosh and there not being a mosh pit yeah. was very bizarre. Caught but, in the chair. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a, that was a strange one. I mean, some shows should not be seated, but um, and yeah, and another one, like I remember seeing Deep Purple in like Deep Purple and Thin Lizzy in like 2001 or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and Deep Purple played Machine Head from the back. So me and my buddy are standing up. We're rocking out. And this guy, this whole dude taps on the shoulder. Hey, can you sit down? I'm like, oh, fuck you, dude. <laughs> like, no, I can't sit down. They're playing Demon's Eye right now. What's wrong with you? You just stand up. So I look back and there was like four seats behind us that were just gone because people were upset that we were standing up and they wanted to sit down and enjoy their evening with Deep Purple. Enjoy the Deep Purple. That's <laughs> But, you know, we were, you know, we were just two like you know twenty year old kids, and we just didn't care. <laughs> so it, we were there to we were there to watch fucking Beat Purple tear it up, and God did they ever! What a great life. Yeah, yeah, man. But oh. yeah, so, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I think the thing to remember is it's just it's going to be weird. It's going to be awkward, but it's temporary. It's yeah, like, it is. It's it's like you know puberty. You know, we just you get through it. You try to like make the best of it. You bond with people in the weird, limited ways you can. And then eventually we're all going to be at like fully grown shows again. 
Yeah, and, and there's so much. Happen. Yeah, and I think, and it seems like the, you know, like I said, it seems like the vaccinations are working, like cases are falling. And even if they're kicking up a bit again, they're not skyrocketing. So it doesn't seem like a fourth wave is coming. Knock on wood. I just knocked on wood, so everybody knows. Um, it, uh, you know, if, if enough people start stepping up and doing the responsible thing and getting the needle in the arm, um, then we'll beat this thing and it'll be back to normal sooner and later. So I, I don't want to, again, we don't want to get into politics, but I'd like to encourage everybody to do their part, do mine. So um, this Sunday. All right. <laughs> you, you, you only want the edge of the needle, but you get the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I know a couple people who've gotten the second dose and have gotten good and knocked out. So, well, whatever. And It'll be a day for lying on the couch, eating pizza, and watching wrestling from the eighties or some shit. Yeah, right. And best case scenario, you feel good and you you know just have a day off. Exactly. So you know it, it'll be a it'll be a win win no matter what. Maybe a win lose or a win win. Won't you? <laughs> All yeah. right. Well, let's see. You got anything more to add, man? Or no, no, no. All right, well, I think that's a good place, good spot to end it. So, yeah, let's, uh, you know, as, as I guess as the as things start to reopen and music starts to come back, I mean, let's just see how it goes. Let's make the best of it. Um, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be what we remember. It's not going to be this amazing block party right away, like, you know, we kind of maybe thought it was going to be. But, hey, like, you know, we, we want it to come back. We want to do shows. Let's support each other. Let's support the venues as much as we can and, yeah, let's just get back to it, you know, one step at a time and, you know, just do the best we can. It's all we can do. Well, you know, think about, think about it this way. Like when, when you actually had COVID and when I actually had COVID, like it wasn't like we were in bed for two weeks and then there was suddenly a day where we were like, fuck yeah, I'm going to get up and climb a mountain. Like no. That's not, that's not how it went. And so it's the same thing just on a civilizational scale. Like our society is sick with this disease and it's going to get over it in much the same way an individual body does. Like, yep. that's, that's a great, that's a great analogy. It's a great analogy, man. I, I totally agree. So yeah, let's just, let's just do our best as, as things get, can be open. Let's do, let's stay safe. Let's do what we can. Let's support everybody, everybody that we can and try to keep some of these venues open and try to keep some of these uh, musicians with, uh, you know, some, some money in their pockets because it's important. All right. Well, I guess that wraps it up for the, another episode. Um, uh, next week should be an interesting one. I think we will actually have a guest on next week and um, we'll have probably a really interesting album to listen to. So um, I thank, for, thank you guys again for tuning in. Um, get yourself through the work week. Take care of yourselves. Be safe. Have fun. And we will see you next Sunday. All right. See you then.